We are back on another beautiful night in Louisville for the Big Red Louie podcast. We have got a great show in store for you tonight. My name is Jacob Lane. I am one half of your hosting team. Joining me as always is my good friend coming from the, the uh, what did the, what was the color that we decided to call your room? Blush? The blush room. Coming from the blush room, Presley Meyer. Presley, how are you, buddy? Dude, if I was any better, I'd be you, bro. Oh, man, what a compliment. We've got a, a lot to talk about tonight. We've got some Louisville basketball we want to get into. Uh, we're going to bring Gigi Robinson in, and we're going to talk Louisville football and, and kind of look at Notre Dame and prepare for Florida State. And at the end of the show, we've got an announcement uh, that we want to make our first big announcement, I think, ever in podcast history. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully you'll stick around to the end to hear that. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and start talking Louisville football. of course as always we've got our football correspondent Gigi Robinson joining us I don't think again that we've had like multiple games this year Gigi where like there's nobody better to talk about these games than you considering the way that everything kind of has shaken out over the last few years but we're going to start tonight we're going to we're going to look at the Notre Dame game and um, try to figure out and what what to make of that there's a lot that went down in that game Uh, and then we're going to jump into looking at Florida State and what you know what we can expect for this weekend in a game that you know by all accounts maybe the season is on the line here so I want to I want to start with Notre Dame. We're going to we're going to bring out a new segment tonight that we titled Four Downs. We're just going to go one by one here on first down and second down, third down, fourth down and just kind of talk about some of the big narratives and storylines of the game. So let's start with first down. Presley and Gigi, uh, in my opinion, I believe Louisville played their best game defensively since 2017. Gigi, I want to ask you if you remember the game in 2017. So put yourself in the time machine here and go back. Do you remember the game in the season where you guys absolutely shut out the, the other opponent in the ACC, four interceptions. They only scored 10 points. Do you remember that game at all? 10 points? 10 points towards the back the back end of the season. Of 2017? 2017, yes, sir. So 2018 was a really bad year. 2017. <laughs> Presley, do you remember that game? Would it, I've, been, it wouldn't have been Duke, would it? It is not. A little bit after. You're close. That was a, that's a good guess, but just a little bit after that, actually. I don't remember them. All right, Syracuse, the second to last week of the season. I believe actually it might have been senior night uh, that season. You all held them to 10 points They and scored 52 on your own right, four interceptions, one sack. Um, looking back at the statistics, obviously Louisville's defense has not had many games where they've allowed 10 points, at least in power games, obviously shut out Eastern right. Kentucky last year. But um, tell me about what you saw against Notre Dame. Presley, you can jump in here as well. Tell me what you guys saw against Notre Dame that stood out to you defensively and how Brian Brown got those guys uh, looking like a completely different bunch just six days after the Georgia Tech game. Man, they were just flying around to the ball for real. That's really what I saw. And another thing I saw was bending and not breaking. Like literally sometimes I would see a drive like where I saw one drive where uh, Ian Book had broke for like a 30-yard run down the field, and it literally reminded me of the first play of the game last year when we played them, and he broke for like 60. But that the difference between that, we couldn't stop him and keep him out of the end zone. They stopped him every single time. They would let him drive down the field. It's not like they that uh, Notre Dame just couldn't drive the ball at all. They'd be down there in the red zone. They tried to kick a field – or they kicked a million field goals in the red zone. They And then 
uh, once they tried to run the fake field goal, that really would have been big if they um, converted right there. But it's bending and not breaking. They were letting them drive down the field and manning up when they got down to the goal line and in the red zone and not allowing them to score. That was the biggest takeaway I had. I mean, to me, I think what you're hitting on too is, I mean, this is very much the concept that that Brian Brown ascribes to, right? Is that, you know, Louisville is not going to get beat over the top. Like that's, that's his ultimate goal is that he does not want Uvell to get, to get beat over the top. So that means they're keeping everything in front of them. Like you would much rather give, give up a eight yard, 10 yard first down than give up a big chunk play. And I think that that's what Louisville did such a good job of. And uh, secondly, the thing that really stood out to me was the improved play from the secondary. Uh, you know, Ian book is, is an ex- extremely experienced veteran savvy quarterback. Um, he had a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, dealing with, with the Louisville secondary, he, the offensive line gave him a ton of time and he, there was, there was a lot of, there were a lot of opportunities that he could have had because he had such a uh, great pocket and he was unable to make anything happen uh, because they were, you know, they were locked down in the secondary. So uh, big props to Louisville in the secondary, first of all, and second of all, just it, it looked like we, we saw when that happens, what the defense ultimately could look like. All right, let's move to second down, all right? Malik Cunningham played better, in my opinion, overall, but at what I saw, he's still not getting it done to the level that they need him to. There's a lot of talk, Gigi, here locally the last few weeks about whether or not it was worth making a quarterback move um, because of the the lack of big plays with with Malik. You know, obviously had the turnovers early in some of these games this season, um, but it was a conversation that Presley and I always thought wasn't worth being had. He's the guy who all offseason we heard as a Heisman candidate was going to have a monster season, obviously. Obviously led the country last year in big passing plays over 60, 70, 80, and 90 yards. Um, and I wasn't having that. I didn't think it made sense to make a quarterback move. Maybe you know something that I don't, but I didn't. I don't know if there's a better guy on that roster um, who's able to make some of those throws that maybe people want to give Malik criticism of not being able to make. But against Notre Dame, I thought he took care of the ball. I thought he did a good job of knowing when to, to you know, dump it down, when to, to try to go for the big play. But still, overall, the offense only scores seven points. You know, they, they're still not getting the ball to Des Fitzpatrick. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, um, I, 90% of the targets in this game were Marshawn Ford and Tutu Atwell and Javian Hawkins. And you have guys like Justin Marshall, Des Fitzpatrick, these other guys who can get you going. And he just didn't hit it. Um, in my mind, until he's able to try to get these able to get Braden Smith and, and Des involved, this offense is just going to be stagnant at best. Yeah, I agree. I definitely don't think that it's uh, no time like for the panic button or anything to, to like change quarterbacks or anything. Obviously, he's your guy. You're so I don't think that that should ever be a question at all. But like you said, I mean, and Malika doesn't have any say on where he's like sometimes most of these plays that are going to Marshawn Ford are designed, are designed for him. That's really the only one I can like speak for. Like when they're throwing it out to the flat, like that's really what they want. Like they're throwing it. He has the play, the touchdown play that they always score on. That's his play. That's, that's where the target's going to go. He doesn't control on when it's going to go to uh, Justin and Dez, but I definitely do think that they do need to get involved into the game plan. If anything's going to happen, like if, if you're planning on putting up big numbers, like seven's got to get the ball because he's not touching the ball near enough as he needs to be touching it. But other than that, like I said, it's, it's not really up to um, Malik as much as it is as the play calling. I mean, I hate seeing – one thing I hate seeing is first down they take a shot, and then second down they run stretch 
right or left and get stuffed for negative two yards. And I was third and 12. You're not doing anything in third and 12. Like, it's just too hard. I'd rather see you, if you're going to do that, that run play that everybody knows is coming, stretch, hawk right, hawk left. If you're going to do that, do that on first down. Like, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to take a shot incomplete and then run the stretch on second down and then leave yourself for a long third down. You're going three and out real quick, putting the defense that's been working real hard right back on the field. Yeah, I mean, Jacob, I, I honestly couldn't disagree with you more as far as I, I felt like maybe last year that there was a little bit of a uh, – or excuse me, last week that there maybe could have been some legitimacy – uh, behind the quarterback talk, but I, I think that that Malik kind of put that to bed uh, this week. I mean, 16 for 19, 93.9 QBR, um, a touchdown. He wasn't electric, um, but against the solid Notre Dame defense, I mean, I think that that's kind of what we expected. I think that we expected the running game to be um, a little bit better, and I think that that to, to Gigi's point, we expected the the overall offensive play calling to be a little bit more creative. Um, and you're right, Gigi, you know, th there is there's a lot of um, looking to the first option um, on, you know, in, in the passing game. But there's also just a lot of just very generic, very vanilla play calling. And I, I understand that that was kind of the game plan last year against Notre Dame. And that's kind of how, how you stay keep things close with them is that you kind of just make it kind of boring, boring and vanilla. Uh, but at the same time, you know, at, at some point, Louisville has has to be you know, looking to, to play to win. And to me, the play calling didn't, didn't feel like it was playing to win. It felt like it was playing to not lose. Um, and it, it almost sounded like Coach Satterfield was a little bit um, resigned to the fact that, you know, he just wanted to see improvement um, on both sides of the ball. Obviously, we saw that this week, but I, I think that, um, you know, you have to know when to take your shots. You have to know when, when to take chances. And we just never really saw um, any continuity and, and consistency um, with, with, with that from the play calling. All right, that's a perfect segue into third down. You could have put this at first down, but Louisville's play calling has been interesting to say the least. But first down, uh, in my opinion, wasn't maybe as bad as you thought, right? I did the math. I broke this down and just trying to get an understanding of what Satterfield is doing here. So 12 running plays on first down, nine passing plays on first down. That was surprising to me. I would have thought that there was a lot more running plays first down with the way that you heard Louisville fans complaining on social media. Uh, but when you start to look into it, it, it's the performance of these plays that's the issue, right? So on the running side, you only have one play that's bigger on uh, than 10 yards on first down, only one that's more than five yards on first down even. You've got two plays in the one to four yard range, and then you have seven running plays here that are for no gain or a loss of yards. That is an absolute recipe for failure on offense. There is no way as an offense consistently to get by behind the sticks as bad as Louisville did and be able to make that up like Gigi just alluded to, right? So you go to the passing side. They passed the ball nine times on first down. They've got five plays greater than five yards, two less than five yards, and two incomplete. One of those is a one-yard touchdown, I believe, to Marshawn Ford on that that play, which I don't know how defenses don't know that play's coming every time. I mean, it's it, when he starts running sideways, you know that they're throwing him the football in the end zone. But um, I, I didn't think that the play calling, when looking back at it, was as suspect as I thought it was. It's just simply they didn't execute. And one thing I'm noticing is that the offensive line, uh, and this, again, I said this last week, Shame on us for thinking that the offensive line was somehow going to go forward when losing Makai, but that stretch play is just not working. It's not working. They've tried it far too many times this year. Um, I don't know if Adonis Boone is a great run blocker or not. I've, I've seen him improve in pass blocking situations, but uh, they've not been able to get that up the middle. There, there's just been no push up the middle at all this season from what I've seen. Um, and because of that, the running game is struggling. Now, 
Uh, with the fact that Notre Dame had no sacks, I find that interesting. I really do. I, I thought that Louisville would have more success throwing the football with, with Malik having a clean pocket. But overall, first down, not as crazy as I thought. Gigi, what did you think? Well, quite honestly, you're 100% right. I was going to uh, say the same thing as well. It's not so much play calling. I mean, obviously, fans aren't going to like to see – stretch right, stretch left, because they can call it from the stands. Like, I'm calling it from at home. I know it's coming. But at the same time, if they if they were – if Louisville was to get eight yards on first down every single time they ran that stretch play, the fans wouldn't have a problem with it. So it's not – it's really not the play calling. It's not on the coaches. It's on the players to execute. And like you said, there's no – there's no dominant side of the line this year. Like, last year there was an extremely dominant side of the line. And on the other side, you had another NFL caliber offensive tackle who you – who wasn't a slouch that you could run run behind as well. It was just, obviously, there was one really strong side of the line and another side of the line that wasn't bad at all. But um, running behind Makai, obviously, they love to do that. Who wouldn't love to go behind him? You're going to get – that's a guaranteed four yards, guaranteed at least. And then you have the ability to break a big one behind him as well. And this year they just don't have that. So it's just – I mean, I don't think you can just – keep going to the well, keep trying to run behind somebody who's not getting the job done. Like just do things, work around uh, your strengths. And they didn't give up a sack, which was which really impressive. Like I didn't know that until you said that, but he was hurried quite a few times, but he wasn't sacked, which is still good. So, I mean, I would definitely, I wouldn't keep going to the well with that stretch play and running it all the time. But like you said, if they were to execute, Literally nobody would be mad. No fans. No, we want to be sitting here talking about it, talking about first down, any of that. If you execute, then everybody's happy. I mean, that, that is true in one sense. I will say after the game um, and then a little bit earlier this week, uh, Coach Satterfield came out and actually said that he believed that, you know, if he could have gone back and done it again, he might have gotten a, been a little bit more creative uh, with the play calling on first down. Um, to your point, Jacob, starting drives, we've only had seven drives th this game. So every single possession was crucial. Um, you had two three and outs, uh, and then you had five out of the seven drives started with a run um, in, in each of those drives, with the exception of the first um, play of the game where Javion Hawkins almost broke a long run. Um, you, you saw that Louisville was unable to get anything going. And that was just kind of, it was just a continual thing that they were unable to set the tone correctly um, to, to starting drives as well. Um, so I, I, I do think that it could be a situation now where you have such a talented wide receiver core, where you have such a plethora of weapons that maybe that you look to try to pass to run. You know, I think that, that coach Satterfield's philosophy is always that you run the pass, but I think that by the same token, I think that that they could definitely pass to run uh, going forward, just because of the way that that this team is set up, and just just the way that it seems like the pass blocking is a little bit better than the run blocking. Which it's just so interesting considering what we saw last year with the ability to, like Gigi said, I mean, you're guaranteed at least three, four, five yards every single running play. Where this year, I mean, more times than not, there's three, four guys around the Hawk every time he gets the ball. You know, he, he's good enough to make one man miss, two man miss. But when you've got four or five guys back there, it's hard to get anything going. Let's quickly move through this last one, fourth down. Uh, in my opinion, it was a good performance. I thought there was a lot to be encouraged by. Uh, but nonetheless, 
this is a game Louisville should have won. They had every opportunity to put this game away. Silly penalties, uh, bad mistakes, crucial overthrows, crucial drops. Um, you know, whatever the case is, Louisville uh, had the opportunity to win here. And Satter Scott Satterfield talked about this, I think, either Monday or after his press conference in the game. And he just said, you know, last year the ball went our way a lot of times. We got, we got things when we needed to. This year we're not doing it. And that's, the, that's what I think happened against Notre Dame. Louisville, again, every opportunity to win. Um, and they just couldn't pull it out for whatever reason. You hope that that will give them momentum into Florida State uh, and not break their psyche. Right, yeah, I feel like the ball just didn't go that way quite a few times. Like, there was one drive that I uh, remember that there was two picks they had in their hands, uh, and they dropped both of them. 13 had one. Oh, my goodness, nobody was within a million yards of him. He was going for six, even though he, was, he would have had to go 100 yards for it. He had it. And then the like, probably like two plays later, uh, Chandler Jones had one right in his hands. Obviously, that was a little bit harder of a pick, but both of those changed the game. That takes three points off the board and could have put seven going our way. But like you said, the ball just didn't go our way sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I don't think it's a luck thing. I just think it's, you know, last season there was, I think that number one, you guys caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, I think that that people can't are coming in this year. They're ready. Like they're, they they know what they saw on the field last year. Um, and it was a completely different product than what they saw in 2018. Um, so I, th I think that's that's part of it. Uh, but but the other thing, too, is that like we we kind of mentioned in the offseason a little bit, Louisville got a lot of fortuitous uh, bounces last season. Uh, I think there was like five times that the opposing starting quarterback went out of the game. Um, so like, there's, there's just a lot of stuff that fell Louisville's way last season. Um, that ultimately, I mean, there's nothing is not taking away from the success of last season, but it's just pointing out, you know, this season could not be any more polar opposite. I mean, you, you look at the onside kick against Notre Dame. I mean, when's the last time you saw the officials go back and review and then call a penalty? Like, I understand that it's the rule, like it is what it is, but I'd never seen that. I mean, I've watched a lot of football in my life. I've never seen that, that executed so there's no way for me to know that that was even there's even potential for that um but it's just like little stuff like that it's just kind of snowballed and, and that's that's how you end up at one and four i mean you could very easily be looking at three and two four and one um if little things fell their way and i, I think that you know when you have a game you know kind of transitioning in the florida state a little bit when you have a game um where the where the opposing team brings a little bit of a challenge they're coming in um, you know, feeling good about themselves. That's the winning that kind of game is something that can help catapult you for the rest of, towards the success the rest of the season. It's truly going to be one of those games. I think you look back on the schedule and you kick yourself because you should have won that game. They, they did everything right defensively and never in a million years would I have thought that this is a team that defensively they were going to be carried and against Pittsburgh and Notre Dame. That's what we've seen. I think it's an encouraging sign moving forward, but it makes this weekend much more important. So let's transition. Let's talk about Florida state. Gigi, I want to start and just kind of look back on your career against Florida state. You've been a, a part of a lot of really good games. You've been a part of um, some heartbreakers. Um, you've been a part of some big blowouts. Um, you got to see, you know, firsthand the Lamar coming out party and uh, experience that game um, like probably nobody else did. And, and at the same time, you can kind of recount the, the misery that's been in this, this series, because, 
Louisville has had everything kind of go right for them since 2014, aside from I think 2015 was the blowout year where Florida State won by 20. But even 2014, that's a 21-7 lead in the first half before Jameis Winston comes back and, and really puts puts Jameis Winston and Dalvin Cook start, you know, to put their, their input on the game. But just take me back to the Florida State game and what you remember, what stands out most to you. Every year with Florida State has been a really good game. Even a year when we were terrible, Florida State game was a really good game. Like, but obviously, granted, Florida State wasn't hasn't been their best since like Jameis Winston left. But Florida State has just always been a tough game. Always high, whole lot of emotions into going into that game again because everybody's from Florida on our team. Whole lot of people, but it's just I don't know. You just know, regardless of how good Florida State is, they're always gonna have the best of the best players. They're always going to get five-star recruits. You know you're going against the best of the best. You always want to you always want to do your best uh, when you're going against anybody, but especially when you're going against the best of the best. But, yeah, every single year had been a pretty bad heartbreaker last year. Dang, what, what, did, uh, what was it last year? Oh, a blown coverage last year. Oh, my gosh, that hurt. When we were down 21-0 and came all the way back, took the lead. And then you have then the interception all do, again. All we had to do was stop them. And then we blow a coverage after we called the same play two times in a row. But the next time somebody wanted to do something different, I don't get it. But the year before that, the missed tackle on the 80-some yard run. Oh, my goodness. Not running the ball that year. That was the year with Coach Pete not running the ball to run the clock out when we had to win. Throwing a pick. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's always a heartbreaker. So I definitely think this game will be close this week. And I know that the emotions will be high. It'll be, I feel like it'll be a good game. Obviously, Florida State's coming off a big win, and we're we're still fighting for something to prove. It Presley, is interesting. Go uh, ahead. I was, no, I was I was just going to ask you a question, but I want you to to say what you're going to say. But in your mind, as a fan, which one of those games stands out most to you? You know, obviously there's the Lamar game, but if you had to pick one of the ones over the last couple of years that stands out, where are you going? You talking to me or Gigi? I'm sorry. No, I'm talking to you. From, from a fan's perspective, uh, the during Gigi's time, it's got to be the 2016 Lamar breakout game day I mean that's one of the best games I've ever been to I mean right. that was uh, hands down I mean that's the one that stands out um but but to your to your point that's that's a great question because they all stand out for such different reasons and it feels like because of the emotion surrounding the game because of it almost feels like 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 uh Louisville's kind of seeing Florida State is becoming that kind of rival for for Louisville in the ACC um, and it has to do with those, those Florida connections. There's always been Florida guys on Louisville's team going back to the early 2000s. Uh, there's, there, that pipeline has always been there. And growing up, up in that state, if you don't have offers from Florida State or you commit to Louisville over Florida State, like that's a, that's a big deal. Like that's like, it's, it'd be like growing up in Kentucky and having an offer from Kentucky and going to like, you know, WKU or something. Like, it, like it, it's hard to, hard to kind of compare it, but that's kind of what – the, the vibe is around that uh, there's always emotion going into the game and it always feels like the season kind of hinges uh, positively or negatively on this game. Uh, so, you know, if you go back to 2016, that massive blowout of, of a pretty solid Florida state team um, ultimately catapulted Louisville into the national conversation that led to the awesome game against, uh, against Clemson, Clemson and death Valley when they had their own game day. Um, then, you know, 2017, was kind of the same way. It was kind of a kind of an odd year, you know. It was Lamar's year after the Heisman, um, where you know Louisville snuck out of of uh, 
Tallahassee with a win on, on a uh, game-winning field goal, and that kind of led to some positive vibes for the rest of the season. And then, like, like you guys talked about, the last two seasons, absolute heartbreakers. Uh, you know, basically, I mean, in, in my opinion, from what I've heard from within with the players, you know, that was kind of the, the finals, final straw with Coach Petrino was that blown play call when you had the game in your hands. All you had to do was run a stinking ball. You know, as a Seahawks fan, like, I don't want to ever have to feel that again. Like, <laughs> twice now. Uh, oh, the misery. I don't ever want to have to deal with that again. Um, but, no, I mean, like, last season – you know, it really felt like when Louisville was building some momentum, that was a bit of a setback uh, when, when, you know, Florida State ultimately came back after Louisville mounted a huge 24-0 run. Um, so this game, again, this season, Louisville and Florida State both, you know, get off to a rocky start in the season, but both are coming off very similar games. They both played uh, almost exact common opponents, which is weird coming into a game this early in the season. Um, and, you, you can really you can really just kind of see how for Florida State how a win for them would really catapult them going forward and for Louisville that could be a huge kickstart uh, because you have you have such a I'm not going to say an easy schedule going forward but much easier than it, than it has been on the front end um, so this is this is a massive game as far as the way that the season hinges for Louisville. Yeah, and I want to before we move into our last segment of the show, I do want to spend some time talking about one of the big kind of elephants in the room here, the fact that. Their quarterback played for Louisville two years ago, um, decided he didn't want to wait the season to leave and left in the middle of 2018. I still have memories of Jordan Travis running around in Cardinal Stadium against Georgia Tech, just looking absolutely overwhelmed. And then I see him leading game winning drives and and being a really you know solid passer at Florida State. Gigi, I want to go back a little bit, and and he was only a freshman in 2018, and you know, the, not a lot of players, I guess, mentally could be prepared for what they were going to be stepping into. And I'm not sure what his recruitment looked like, but when he was quarterback, you know, of, of Louisville for that game and a half, I think he played Boston College, he played, uh, you know, a lot for against Florida State or uh, against Georgia Tech. But what do you remember about him as a passer? You know, preparing and practice against him, like what kind of stands out with Jordan Travis? Just a uh, just seems like a dual threat guy, but like you said, um, didn't really get too much of a chance to really remember who who he was and stuff. Remember seeing him around the locker room and stuff, and uh, he was a pretty, I guess, highly re- uh, regarded recruit recruit coming to us. But other than that, I don't remember too much. But like you said, it's always tough to come in as a recruit and then come into the program that we had with Coach P. Like he was just a tough, hard nosed guy. It's kind of hard to be. Like, you're not ready. You're not prepared for that. You don't see that in recruiting, obviously. You don't see any coach's real side in recruiting. Not saying Coach was a bad guy at all, but he's just a tough guy to uh, play for and stuff sometimes. So, obviously, felt like he was one of the ones who couldn't really handle it, and so he had to get up out of there. But, yep, so that's all I really remember about him. Know that he's at what I've seen at Florida State, though. He looks he looks the part now. He definitely looks the part, what I've seen when they played um, uh, North Carolina this past week. Yeah, he was he was impressive. And not only was he able to, you know, have some success throwing the football. I know he didn't throw a lot of times. I think he just threw 13 times overall. And I apologize. I'm outside. There's a lot of nature happening around me here. So there's a lot of noise in the background. But um, I, I thought he looked really poised. Um, you know, they did a good job of, of getting the ball out of his, his hands quickly and doing a lot of different RPO and giving him situations to run. Uh, and he had 100 yards rushing. He had two touchdowns. He, he's been more effective as a runner than he has been a passer. 
Uh, but for Louisville, this is a game where you're really going to be put to the test. They've done a good job with running quarterbacks this year. I thought they did a good job with Derek King when they played Miami. Um, I thought that for the most part, they kept in book and check besides that one big run. Um, you know, they didn't do a great job last week of stopping the run from the running backs in Notre Dame, but um, I think this week with Florida state, this is a really good opportunity to get the confidence on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm looking for uh, a game that we kind of saw from Malik last year. He came alive in the second half against Florida state. Uh, he looked like a completely different guy in, in that game. And that's really where I can go back and be like, this is where the Malik of the Satterfield era came out as opposed to the Malik from the, the Bobby Petrino era. And I'm really hoping that we're going to continue to see that defensively here with Brian Brown. Um, obviously we, we've talked a lot about over the last two years, Florida state's offensive line is worse than Louisville um, has been over the last few years. Like they're not good at all. They've given up more sacks than uh, just about anybody in the country. Um, um, and so I, the, the game, the game plan ammo here is going to be get after Jordan Travis Presley. Do you think that they're going to be able to do that? I mean, I guess that that's what it comes down to. Can they do it? I think that they can, but I don't think that's going to be the game plan to be honest. Uh, the reason being because Jordan Travis's MO um, as far as what we saw at Louisville and as far as the limited amount that we've seen at Florida state, his MO is, is a, as a runner. He is, he is definitely behind as a passer. Um, if you look at, if you look at the Florida state's big plays against North Carolina, um, they were all massive chunk plays I actually wrote down, um, his, his big passing play. So he had eight completions for 191 yards, which is insane. But four of those plays were 36, 58, 39, and 33 yards. So that adds Amen. up to, I believe around 160. So he only had four outside of that. He only had four passes for, for about 30 yards. Um, so the, the key to me is going to be just continuing that good play in the secondary. Um, he's going to be another guy just like Ian book. Who's, who's going to be able to kind of run around and, and, and make plays. And it's just going to be about, you know, not break, not breaking assignment, not trying to make a play outside of, of what is what your responsibility is. And if they can do that, I, I don't see Jordan Travis as, as big of a threat. I think that there's more of the ominous, like, Oh, he used to play for Louisville. There's something to prove. Number one, I don't think there's anything to prove. I think that that Jordan will have uh, players on the team that you know he respects and 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 knows. I don't think there's going to be a chip on his shoulder to come back and prove anything at Louisville. I think that was more of a, a decision based on he wanted to go back closer to home. And when he got to Louisville, the coaching staff was not what he expected to be. Well, there's nobody left on the coaching staff uh, that that made any of those decisions. And you know, half of the team that was there when he was there isn't there anymore. So to me, I think that's kind of like a, a non-story ultimately. Um, he was at Louisville and then left so quickly. You know, it, to me, there, there's not as much of that story. I just think that, that as a Louisville fan, we understand the panic. We understand like the, you know, when, you know, when things are going bad, they just keep getting worse and worse. Uh, and we're just afraid that that's going to snowball into a guy that was, that could have been Louisville's quarterback of the future um, taking over and making big, you know, making big plays against us. But no, I, I think the key though is going to be in the secondary. That's, that's what I'll be looking for. If they can continue anything remotely similar to what they did against Notre Dame. Um, I think that's a, a massive uh, positive against a guy who's still really developing in the passing game. Right. I think it's more of like a, like you said, I definitely don't think it's going to be stopping him in the passing game. Like he's a, they, he's more of a game manager. They put him out there and they don't put him in situations where he could lose them the ball game. Like they're not saying, I need you to go out here and throw 25, 30 passes, go win us this ball game, throw for 250, lead us to the promised land. They're not doing that. They're saying, 
don't turn the ball over, run enough, three, three, four, to get a first down. Three yards on first down, three yards on second down, four yards on third down, and get, run the clock. It's not really – they're not. he's not out there trying to be anybody's superstar. He's just out there being a game manager. So I think it comes down to the front seven more than the back than the back end. Yeah, you want to see Louisville be able to to not only you know hit hit the runner in the backfield, whether it's him or their their running back um, whose name is blanking me right now. But the other thing to keep in mind before I get back to that is Florida State lost every single scholarship running back they had from a year ago, so they are completely rebuilding their backfield. So it comes down to Louisville being able to get in the backfield get plays behind the sticks, set them out to have to pass on second and third down rather than being able to run. And if you go back and you look at what Jordan Travis did last week, his big plays, Presley, if you watch the highlights, two of them are big, like their jump balls where the Florida State receiver was lucky to come down with it. He over either overthrew or underthrew his man and, and just got lucky that, that he went up that his receiver made the play. Those easily could have been interceptions. Uh, so if you put him in, in situations where he has to throw, um, he's turned the ball over. He's thrown three interceptions this season so far. Um, he, is, he, he is a guy who is not a policy. Passer, polished passer you have to make him throw the football you have to stop the run early there all right and i want to finish the show with this we did this segment last week overreaction underreaction i think this is the question of the week this is the storyline is louisville season somehow on the line this weekend if you drop to one and five in a season where you were supposed to potentially compete to be at the top of the acc you lose to florida state is the season over at that point? Do you say put the young guys in let's see what's coming up down the future let's start re- focusing on rebuilding or is it, you know, hey, it's a loss or it's a win. The season goes on. Man, the way I've been uh, I've been thinking about it since I was coming on the show this week, I'm like, dang, they probably not going to want me on the show anymore. My takes have been terrible because I said that we could go 10-0. and 0. Now look at us. <laughs> <laughs> 10 and 0 is about to turn into 1-5 or 2-4. and 4. That's ugly. But regardless, I don't know if it'll end the season. I definitely don't think it's – Throw the young guys in, man. Throw the best person out there who can give you a chance to win. And I feel like they that this is definitely a winnable game. They should win the game. But, I mean, I can't even say that anymore. I've been saying that every single time I come on the show, and I've been wrong just about every time. So well, like, like the, don't ask me for any predictions because I ain't give them. <laughs> the, the, the key is, as you realize, like, the more wrong you are week after week, you just got to double down. Like, you can't turn <laughs> back and admit you're wrong. You just have to keep going and, and going forward with it. So, Presley, what do you think, man? No, I mean, I listen. I, I'm I'm not afraid to say that that's that's not an overreaction, uh, because you have to take you have to take a look at. I mean, next week if they can't beat Florida State, next week you're facing a, a really solid Virginia Tech team with quality quarterback play, with an excellent defense, great special teams as always. Um, you know, it the, it's it's an uphill battle. Uh, after that, after these next two games, you know, they're regardless of the way that Louisville plays, they will have a chance in each of the games uh, going forward. Uh, obviously, you know, Boston College is a little bit more of a challenge than, than what we expected. However, you know, I think that it's it's a failure overall this season if Louisville doesn't at least hit 500. And it doesn't seem likely that they're going to hit 500 if they can't beat Florida State. U- ultimately, that's the way that I look at it. Um, so... To me, I don't think – I think that that's – it's not an underreaction, but it's not an overreaction either. Right. Uh, I, I think that especially if they do, if if they lose because of some silly mistake, you know, like like an offensive lineman, you know, getting another personal foul penalty or, you know, having – being fumble prone or, uh, you know, so, some something silly that's killed them so far this season. If, if it's another one of those, you know, that's definitely not, not an overreaction by any means. Yeah. What about you, Jacob? 
you know, I, I would say that I think the season is on the line. If we're talking about expectations before the year, right? I know Louisville won eight games last year, kind of accelerated the rebuild, kind of sped up expectations. So to start one and five and you lose to Florida State, you're probably not beating Virginia Tech the following week, six days of preparation. You're probably looking at one and six. And at that point, it's like, okay, are you going to win another game? This is a team that we have seen um, – in 2018, I hate to always go back to that, but we th- this team is made up of a lot of the same players that were there that year. And GGA, no offense, man, but that season just it was a it was a collapse. You saw things go wrong very early in games, and then it just collapsed. And you worry about what happens with the, the psyche of this team. Uh, you hope that the culture is strong enough to be able to kind of support that, but you don't want younger players kind of seeing the older guys. Uh, go through difficult times and mope or, or, you know, give up on plays or, you know, give less effort. So to me, this is a game that I think they have to win. Now, I don't think that it affects the future by any means. I don't think that if Louisville loses this game, they're going to be terrible for the next five years. But I just think that this is a game when you're up against the wall um, and you've got a real opportunity to kind of prove who you are and what you're about. I think you got to go out and you got to win this game. And if not, then you're talking about potentially walking away with maybe one, two, three wins. And it's just such a massive failure compared to where you were a year ago, even considering the fact that there's a pandemic and a lot going on. So um, go ahead, Gigi. Right. Comparing it to 18, I feel like it's just way different. Like for regardless, sure, regardless, like they have four losses, but every single game, like if I'm not mistaken, other than maybe Miami, even on Miami game, all of them, they've been in a position to win. It's not like it's 77 to 11. Like, right, right. Like, it's nothing like that. Nobody's going to be out there quitting. I promise you that they're not putting up with that. They'll put a freshman walk on in before they ever allow effort uh, to be a problem out there. So, this yeah. Coach, and- this coach staff ain't going to allow that. Like, Coach Coach Mike wouldn't have that. They None of them would have that. So, regardless, if they go one and however many games they play, one and nine. Ten, yeah, one and ten, whatever it is, right. One and ten, it's not going to look like that on the field. They will still look like a, a team on the field. Yeah, and the only reason I go back to that, I got a lot of criticism from a buddy of mine that I watched the Georgia Tech game with because the way that that game kind of snowballed at the end, I'm like, man, it's like sitting here two years ago when they beat us 77 to 16 or whatever it was, just the way it snowballed so quickly. And so I go back to that, not because I think this team is mentally weak. Like you see Coach Mike on the sidelines when they're getting pounded by Miami, still being the first one there to meet players. Like there's energy. They got juice and swag, whether they're losing or whether they're winning. I just more worry about just kind of like the habits that are created and what what the young players see as they are really put to the test for the first time from the veterans. And the only reason I ever go back to 2018 is just when you start to kind of see glimpses of it here and there, uh, as Louisville fans, we're scarred. Like that was a season we were not expecting that to happen by any means. You got by Petrino out there saying we're going to be better than we were uh, with Lamar Jackson. And so, again, it's a terrible correlation. Go ahead. My bad. I didn't mean to cut you off. He said we were going to beat Alabama, remember? <laughs> I do remember that, man. <laughs> I absolutely remember that. No, but it all goes back to culture, and it's a totally different culture now. Like, it's that's what I'm saying. Like, they go one in nine. It doesn't matter. The culture is going to stay the same. They have they brought that winning culture from App State, and they're implementing it. And when I was there, obviously, it wasn't, like, 100% implemented. But from what I know, from who I know, from what I see – I feel like that culture is there. Like it's in there. Like the coaches don't like losing. Like I can see it on their faces a little bit different than when I'm looking on the sideline in 2018. Like these coaches, they're not having that and they're, they're going to find a way. But like I said, it all goes back to culture. If they were to go one and nine, they would still be competing in games. Like it could be, they could be one and eight going into the last game. 
it's, they still might have a drive to go win the game just because the coaches will put them in the position and they're not going to be out there with no effort and things like that. I yeah. mean, it, it, as far as I'm aware, I don't think there's any coach on this coaching staff that's ever gone through even a losing streak like this. So I, 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 I don't, I don't see this. I don't see anything even remotely close uh, to 2018 on, on the radar. I mean, the culture is strong enough that you see all these guys are getting on, on Twitter, getting on social media after the game. And they're like, look, regardless of what happens, I still love my guys. Like that's not stuff that you would have seen two years ago. Like it's just, right. not, I'm, like, just to be completely straightforward. Uh, and, and I mean, look, all it's going to take is momentum. Like I'm telling you, once they get that momentum, then you, I, it sounds silly. Like I see a lot of people still talking about like, Oh, they can win out. They can win out. Like that's hundred percent possible because all it takes is they could come out the gate, go up 21, nothing on Florida state and just, and don't look back like that. That is 100% a possibility. And that's all it's going to take to get back to where they were last season. They are not that far off of the group that we saw a year ago. The, the difference is that they have just not had that positive juju. And again, 2018, it has no, it has no position being in this podcast at all tonight, but it's just one of those things that when you see week, a glimpse of it, yeah, we're never going to mention it again. Right. Exactly. So um, this weekend, you want to see Malik get his swagger back. You want to see the defense uh, again, take another step forward and build off of it. I think it's absolutely possible. Gigi, thank you for joining the show. It's been a blast and hopefully we see a cards win this weekend. All right, let's switch gears a little bit here and move into talking about some Louisville basketball. Things are starting to heat up as the season approaches. We are uh, just a little bit over a month out. Presley, bringing you back in here. We're joined tonight by Grant Wyman, former Louisville baseball player, uh, now a social media superstar, as I like to call him. But Grant, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are y'all? Hey, man, we, we're talking Louisville basketball. It's never a bad thing, especially when the cards sit at one and four in football and potentially staring at a fifth loss in a row. Uh, but I, I digress anyways. So now it's like, we're like Kentucky fans around here, man. Whenever things don't go good on the football field, we quickly switch gears to basketball. I've, and then when things get good, we'll go back. I haven't given up, but I've moved on. That, that's, that's where I'm at. I've, I've moved on to basketball season. I haven't given up on the football team. I, I, but – we're here to talk basketball. I'm not going to get into football too much right now. Let's do it. There's been a lot of news uh, out there. Louisville has uh, been putting together a little bit of their off-seasons or their, their non-conference schedule, trying to get that in line. Um, Shana Russell of the Courier-Journal reporting just some of the teams that have officially signed contracts, so we're seeing the schedule kind of play out. Uh, the news came down last week that Malik Williams and Carly Jones were voted team captains. Uh, Chris Mack has met with the media uh, locally here in the last couple of weeks. David Johnson talked to them uh, as well. And I just think that there's a lot of, of interesting storylines heading into this season. And Grant, I want to get your opinion as we kind of talk through these. But um, we had Chris Mack on this summer, and, and I think personally – the biggest theme to this year's team is youth, right? You lose six guys, you're veteran guys, you lose juniors and seniors that you lose the majority of your scoring. And while you have a lot of talented pieces coming back, it's a lot of unknown. And Presley, uh, Grant, I, I don't know if there's been a season that's been like this in quite some time where there just simply is so much unknown. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, go continue, Presley. Sorry. No, you're totally fine, man. I mean, you're absolutely right, Jacob, in, in that – the exciting part of the season, also the scary part, is that you can look at this year and this, you could take the narrative in so many different directions, right? And that's, I mean, I guess I said, I think I've said this on a previous podcast, but it, it feels like this is like what 
in, in a sense, what like UK and Duke and Kansas and some of these other teams feel every offseason. And that's just complete uncertainty. All you can go by uh, for the most part it is basically, you know, I'm not going to say hype, but just like what you know of people's previous careers, either in high school or at their previous university. Um, so there, there are so many different directions that the season could go. And to me, I choose to look at it as, is that's the exciting part of the season, right? Is that there, that this, this season could take us to new heights of the Chris Mack era, or we could be looking at, you know, this being a potential rebuilding year. And I, I think that that's, what's so fun is that we're going to, we're going to learn so much about this team. We're going to learn so much about the individual players. Um, and to me, that's exciting. What, what about you, Grant? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. I would say, you know, usually the recipe to great success isn't uh, losing your top four leading scorers. However, we get to see that, uh, that, that recruiting class everyone was so excited about really coming to uh, action this year. So, I mean, I know there was a lot of questions last year with young guys didn't get a lot of playing time. Uh, was that a worry? And I think, you know, coming from a, a college athlete's perspective, it's so important, so cool to see young guys develop within a system. So they got to learn, you know, they got to sit there, learn the pack line. Um, I'd say seeing any of those guys get significant actions, like, we saw, you know, we saw David Johnson, um, Samuel Williamson a little bit at the end of the year come in. That's not easy to do when you have a very old, you, when you have an older team, um, you know, a lot of juniors, a lot of seniors, they dominate practice. That's just how it is. Like you come in as a freshman, you have no idea what's going on. First of all, you're learning the system. Chris Max barking at your ass all day long. Um, you're getting bullied around. They got to learn that they're going to come into their own. I am super excited. I think this is a top 25 team regardless. Cause I think Chris Mack is really that dude, but on the bright side, um, Louisville baseball is going to be great. So if it doesn't go that great end of January, I can, I can move on from there. So as long as you keep, yeah. As long as you keep the goalposts moving, man, you're never going to be going in the wrong direction. There's always another sport that you can, there's always another to. sport. Louisville is going to at least be good at in preseason. So I'm, yeah. I'm not too worried. You know, and I think that the news of the captains being named is obviously no surprise, right? We are used to veteran guys kind of taking that position, and we all expected Malik Williams to be the leader of this team, right? We've seen him out there the seat and lead, leading them through the marches um, for, for you know, the, the the racial injustices that are going on in this country. We've seen him uh, speak up. We saw him last year, man. He was always the one when it wasn't Dwayne that was bringing the energy, the hoorah guy. Like, he is the kind of the heartbeat of this team. Uh, but, but I'm really excited to see Carly Jones because uh, we've seen – Chris Mack bringing graduate transfers each of the last two years. And while, you know, Cunningham was really, really good at what he did, he was a limited player and his talent overall and, and just kind of what he could do at the ACC level. And I never felt like Fresh Kimball really got comfortable in his role this year. I think, uh, you know, Presley, I said this last time, I think this is the, the perfect graduate transfer for Chris Mack. I think Carly Jones is the guy that you want to help kind of foster in that culture of toughness and swag that Chris Mack played with at Xavier. Uh, so I'm really excited about his leadership opportunity. And not only that, I mean, obviously, I know Malik Williams doesn't believe that he's Allen Iverson, but like I can totally, you know, get down with a scenario where Carly Jones is just, you know, taking everybody's lunch money uh, on the Louisville practice floor every day, because that just means the ACC is going to have a lot of uh, a lot of things to deal with when it comes to Louisville with Samuel Williamson and Carly Jones, Malik Williams. Like there's so many options out there. Uh, but what did you guys think about the captaincy? I mean, I know that's not a, a huge deal to us as fans, but we've seen leadership be an issue the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, it's, it is a big deal to see a guy um, similarly to, to, uh, to Fresh Kimball last season. You know, there was, it was a big storyline 
that he came in uh, not much time with the team. And yet it quickly in that period of time, he was voted the team captain. You know, you can look at a guy like David Johnson. You can look at a guy uh, maybe like Samuel Williamson um, to, to potentially be a team captain, or even like I, I was thinking maybe like a Charles Mendlin. So it's interesting to see that it was Carly Jones ultimately who won the second team captain spot. As far as Malik Williams, I think that we saw him kind of as a team captain last season as well. Um, he is a guy that, that's had the team's ear um, since Mac has been there. Uh, he's kind of the energy guy. He kind of, and he's going to pick up on that even more probably this season uh, in the absence of Darius Perry and Ryan McMahon. Um, so to, to me, Malik's not very surprising, but extremely uh, positive uh, that, that Carleek was, was ultimately the nominated as the team captain. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it right there. Um, no surprise when you look at Malik. I mean, that, that's the guy that was a captain last year for the team. Um, going forward, you know, what, what we talked about in the off season, what we saw him as a leader. Um, so you're not surprised there. I think it's awesome. I think it's really awesome to see a guy like Carly come in here, take control. That's not easy to do. You're walking into a locker room that you have no idea. One, it's really easy to be um, hesitant to try and take, take command. I love that we got a guy that came in, did take command. He's going to be a floor general for us. He's going to be a dog for us. Um, and, you know, like, like you said, I think it's a, I think it's a Chris Matt guy, which is even more exciting. Here's my worry. They wear those jerseys that I saw circulating social media yesterday. We're going to be the laughing stock of the ACC because there is nothing that says rebuilding, like having a giant Cardinal on your butt cheek. Like I mm. don't, I don't understand if Adidas is trying to take out their frustrations of the whole Patino lawsuit on us, or if maybe Adidas has just lost touch with reality of what looks good. You know, I, I'm not really sure there, but if Louisville ever touches a basketball floor wearing those, I'm going to be ashamed. It's worse than the Cumberbund and the Cumberbund was my least favorite uniform anything Louisville related besides the murder bird over the last few years. Let me, let me ask this. Let's, let's transition into the last part of this overall. What is the thing that you're most confident in this season for Louisville basketball? And what is the thing that you're least confident with grant? I'll start with you. Most confident. I think, I think David Johnson takes another step. I think again, he is the real deal. You're going to see him as a quality draft pick. That's right. That's what I believe. I think he is devoted to it. I think, Chris Mack has, again, another Chris Mack guy that you can believe in, you can trust in. And, you know, between him and Malik Williams, I think those are the guys that you go to. David Johnson wasn't the guy last year, right? We had Jordan Moore. We had a lot of other big pieces. David Johnson becomes that guy for us this year. Um, I would say what I'm most worried about, not worried, but least confident in, is the growth. Like, what I'm also most excited about is the growth of those young guys, right? So, it is awesome to see everybody got to develop in that system, take their next steps, learn how to be a division one athlete, but now it transitions to the floor, right? So where does that, are, did they develop the right way? Did, are they confident in their game? Are they ACC basketball players? And that's where we're, what we're about to find out. Like I said, I put my, I'm the biggest Chris Max fan. You guys will learn that going forward, but I'm also a realist. I think that he can prepare those guys to get into it. I'm just a little hesitant to make it official that that recruiting class is going to be that, that next step for us. Yeah. I mean, let me go, let me go uh, least confident first. Least confident. I, I'm not sure how Louisville is co going to combat some of the bigger front lines in the ACC. 
Um, you know, you look at teams like Duke, North Carolina, and Virginia in particular, they are really strong up front. They are year to year, but specifically this year, uh, you look at Duke, they're probably going to have two top 10 draft picks battling for the center spot. Um, so what is Louisville going to do to combat that? You have Malik Williams, who is probably the best defender on the team, but he doesn't have that size. He doesn't have that imposing presence that we saw from Stephen Enoch. Um, and then you have Aiden Agehanu, who is completely unproven. Outside of that, uh, we heard firsthand from, from Coach Mack um, that we could see a bit of a shakeup um, at, at, at the backup center position if Aiden Gahan doesn't work out. I, I think that we will see that with, with Jalen Withers at some point this season. Last year, we saw Quinn Slazinski rotate in for a small ball five. But again, when you're playing these uh, top-of-the-line elite uh, offensive teams up front, I don't know how Louisville's going to combat that on defense. Um, the the positive, the most the thing that I'm most positive about is, is this front court. I think that David Johnson could be the best point. Actually, I am positive that David Johnson is the best point guard that we've had since Peyton Siva. Um, secondly, I am extremely excited about Carly Jones. My expectations are tempered for Carly Jones, and we'll get into the, to the reason why um, a little bit more down the road. Uh, but most of it has most of it has to do with the overall performance, just the grad transfers in general. I don't think that it's a wise move at all to be completely dependent on grad, grad graduate transfers, um, and so that that's a big part of part of why we'll get in, get get into that more in depth. But I'm also really excited about Charles Medlin. I think that's a guy that people should be talking a lot more about, and we're not at all. Who is a potential starter? He's a dark horse starter on this team, and I think that he will start some games this season. Um, Samuel Williamson, you can throw him into that guard mix just a little bit. He's going to play mostly on the wing, but again, that's another ball handler who is going to probably take over. Or you know, we would hope that he takes over for that leading scorer uh, position. And then you have you have Josh Nickelberry, who was the second leading scorer in, in North Carolina high school basketball history. Nobody's talking about Josh Nickelberry. Obviously, we didn't see him very much last season, but Louisville is going to need to replace some of the shooting that it lost with Jordan Wara, with Darius Perry, with Ryan McMahon. Um, just, just all across the court, there, there was a lot of really solid, dependable outside shooting last season. You're not going to get that with, with their replacements as much. I think that Josh Nickelberry can be a guy who steps in and brings that, that outside shooting. I think that Josh Nickelberry and David Johnson would make a very interesting backcourt tandem as well. Um, so the depth, the flexibility, um, and, and the firepower in that backcourt is, is going to be among not just the best in the ACC, but the best in the nation. And I think that's why, like you said, Grant, I think that's why we could potentially see Louisville as a team that stays in the top 25 throughout the season. The, the, this is going to be one of the the teams that the, one of the I'm trying to figure out the way to phrase this. There's just I mean, there's obviously expectations because it's Louisville, right? But this team, I think a lot of fans I would hope are going to have a lot of faith in being able to kind of charter the waters early on in a season where maybe things get a little bit choppy. They lose some games. They, they have to learn um, how to play together. But in terms of the most confident thing, the thing I'm most confident in is that Sam Williamson is going to be the dude we thought he was. Like, I totally believe that. I think we're going to see him develop into being Louisville's best player, Louisville's leading scorer. Um, I think he's going to become the go-to guy. Um, I, I, I just think he has such a unique game. We, we slept on him last year, man. It, it was like Louisville fans forgot that uh, historically the sophomore year is where we see the breakout not the 
freshman year. So I have a lot of faith that Sam's going to get it right. Another year in the weight room, another year watching film, getting used to the length of and speed of college basketball. You're a perfect fit in the pack line defense. Now, the things I'm I, the thing I'm least confident in is the shooting on this team. I don't know where the shooting is going to come from because when you're playing a four out one in system, you got to have four guys that can shoot the basketball. You have to, otherwise, you, the the too many guys in the defense can start to collapse, or they can you know kind of the move the defense to where they need to to leave guys open. Um, I know Carly Jones is a good shooter, but th- that was in the Big South, right? I don't know. I know Josh Nickelberry can shoot, but it's not been in the ACC yet. Uh, I know Quinn Slazinski has been a guy that they people have just called a big or Luke Hancock, but we haven't seen it yet. Right. So I don't know um, where the shooting is going to come from. And in an offensive system where, um, you know, you go inside out, out, outside in, I, you need shooters. And if Louisville can't shoot, then you, you're talking about an offense. that's not going to function. Uh, thankfully though, we've got some time to get through this. There'll be more golden jerseys handed out in the process over the next couple of weeks. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I know we won't probably be able to get into the KFC Yum Center this year uh, and enjoy basketball the way that we should, but um, I think this season is going to be probably the most fun overall that we've had so far. The last two years have just been difficult. Like they've just, they've aged me. I like, the last two teams have just been like the team that grinds your gears consistently. Uh, but I'm really excited about this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. Grant, thanks for hopping on with us, man. We appreciate your, your, your take as a former athlete. Uh, we'll catch up with you soon, man. I appreciate y'all for having me. The time has come. We teased this early in the show. Um, we have an announcement to make about the future of Big Red Louie and the Big Red Louie podcast. Presley, I want to start by asking you this. Does the date April 30th, 2018 stand out to you in any way? That sounds like um, April 30th? April 30th, 2018. Oh, wait, I'm thinking February. I'm sorry. I was like, is there 30 days in April? Uh, yeah, I think I was like, oh, gosh, I was like at like a – children's baptism or something i think i think i was at like jill's first communion pretty sure that's what it was jill's first oh, communion. My goodness. all right well that is not what i am speaking of april 30th is the date uh that you officially came on board big red louie as the uh co-expert as they like to call us at fansided you uh you and i go back all the way to to kindergarten first grade we've known each other for a long time uh, that was around the time that i reached out to you after not having talked to you for years and asked you hey man i'm taking over this website uh, I know you're a big Louisville fan. I've seen your tweets. you got a lot of opinions and thoughts. Will you join me? And for some reason, I, I think you probably regret this now. I'm sure there's been some nights where you've regretted this, but you said yes and you joined me. Here we are almost two and a half, three years later, um, and we are sad to announce tonight that Presley and I – well, I don't want to say sad because th- this is just a change of the guard. The site is going to continue. It's going to, uh, to continue to do its thing. But Presley and I uh, will be officially leaving Big Red Louie at the end of October – um, we have been um, just so blessed by the, the readers, um, the listeners on the podcast. Presley and I, you know, we did this as fans just wanting to spend our, our spare time talking about Louisville. Um, and so to be able to have some of the guests we've had on, to be able to get to 50 episodes on the podcast, um, to be able to get to the point where we have been with the site, um, it's been truly an honor. And Presley, man, it has been such a blast working alongside of you. What is your favorite moment in Big Red Louie history? Let me ask you that. Oh, gosh. Okay. I would say my favorite, and this is, by the way, this is completely off the cuff, but my favorite moments probably have something to do with Ross. Um, if, if you don't know who Ross is, if you don't, if you listen to any local radio show, you've probably heard Ross before. But Ross was on our first ever podcast. And my man made pizza rolls in a in a air fryer. 
No, in a, in, a, in a real fryer, not just an air fryer, a fryer. Oh yeah, it was like everything. it was like SpongeBob, Krabby Patties, and we were in we were in Ethan Sprouse's poor little Ethan, eighteen year old Ethan, in his uh, Cardinal Town apartment. Cardinal Town apartment, just cooking up some some. Uh, what what were, what were we making? Pizza rolls, man. I don't know what we were making, but we were doing our, our first we were making ever pizza Big rolls. Red podcast. There was stuff falling off the walls. I think we messed up like 300 times. Uh, there was like 15 people on the podcast. It, like we had no idea what we were doing. I'm pretty sure the whole time we had like we, all this equipment. We were just recording through like my like janky ass laptop. So to go from there to, to here being the being the final Big Red Lily podcast, being somewhat semi-professional. And along, along the way, all the, you know, all the, Throughout through the site, the number of relationships that we've made, the number of people that we've connected with, um, the number of interviews that we've gotten to conduct, the number of articles that we've gotten to write, uh, you know, stuff anything from hosting a tailgate to covering covering games, you know, from the press box in person to interviewing Chris Mack to you know you know getting to know the ins and outs and people behind the scenes at the University of Louisville. There's been so many opportunities, so many doors that have opened just by answering an email from from a guy that I hadn't talked to in 10 years. So, uh, I mean, that that is, you know, such incredible growth and and something that we're so proud of. This has been, you know, I'm sure people know by now, but, you know, this is a huge part of our lives, but we also are both married. Jacob, you have a child. I have two dogs that bark constantly during the podcast. And we both have full-time jobs that we work, you know, well over 40 hours a week. Uh, so there's been a lot of, you know, we have we have our own personal lives, but this has been part of our personal lives for the last, you know, two and a half, three years. So um, what about you? What is your, what has been your favorite moment? I got to tell you, man, when I look back on it, the thing that I am most proud of is, is teaching Coach Mack that you can mix sauces at Roosters. Like, the, the, I have been calling it the Big Red Lily special for as long as I can remember because that's always like we've we've we had one of our first uh, website team gatherings of roosters like we've gotten beer after beer there like we've made friends sitting at a rooster's table drinking beer eating wings like that moment to me it was just silly and, and most people probably kind of rolled their eyes they're like why are you all talking about a, a local chain like well who cares uh, but to me that was just a, a moment of of just pure joy like that was just so cool as a as a fan who's grown up uh, as a Louisville fan in Louisville and, and being able to sit down with the Louisville basketball coach and just have a, that kind of conversation that was just so cool to me and um, you know you you hit the nail on the head man this has been a, a lot of fun uh, I've really enjoyed every single second of this uh, we've gotten to know so many great writers and um, I've been fortunate enough to help and be a part of you know so many using this as a, as a springboard into their next paid position or whatever the case is and um, we couldn't do this without the people who have supported us we couldn't do this without the fan-sided staff you know they allowed us to launch this podcast again probably their mistake for allowing that um, but you know i'm really appreciative that we've been able to do this and this isn't the end of us firstly we um we've got big things planned just the beginning we've got things in store that we are really excited about we hope that you guys will continue to follow us on social media uh, you can follow me at jacob lane underscore brl um, at Meyer underscore Presley. You guys continue to get our hot Louisville takes. Um, and again, I, I can't say this with enough confidence. This podcast is going to continue to go on without us. Uh, we've built up an, a great audience. We thank you guys so much for listening to us week after week and hearing our obnoxious takes on the 2018 football season 400 times. But um, it's been a lot of fun, and we're really looking forward to the future of the site and the future that we have. So again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you for um, supporting us, supporting local bloggers and journalists. Uh, we'll catch up with you soon.